Hello, everyone. How is everyone this evening? Not too cold? Um, right, well, tonight we are looking again at Ephesians 6. Um, so if you've been coming along in the evenings, uh, you'll know that we've been working very slowly through Ephesians 6, um, chapter, uh, sorry, chapter 6, verses 10 to 20. And that can be found on pages one one sorry page one 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 two in the Pew Bible. So Ephesians six, beginning to read at verse ten on page one thousand one hundred twelve of the Pew Bibles. So it says this: Finally, be strong in the Lord and in, and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, in which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me that I will fearlessly make make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly, as I should. Right. Well, it's lovely to be here this evening, um, working through this passage with you. And um, we've been going kind of verse by verse, or in this case of tonight, um, half verse. Uh, so tonight we um, are going to um, look at what it means to have the breastplate of righteousness. Um, now, I think the really, the first really important thing to think about um, in this passage um, is that the armor of God isn't just these random things that God has thought, oh, that might be useful for a human in the spiritual battle. Let's try that. No. See, another way of saying the armor of God is actually God's armor. Uh, these characteristics, these modes of being, these weapons against the enemy are God's very own armor that he, um, that he wears. And out of his own armory, he equips us. Um, for, for the battle. Uh, and in this, even though in this series we're looking at each individual part um, on, on Sunday nights, um, the armor is only really good as a whole. I once uh, saw someone wearing a t-shirt that said, there are too many Christian streakers running around with only the helmet of salvation. A minute for that to sink in. Um, so, but basically, it is asking, what good is a helmet without a shield to deflect attack? What good are quick shoes without a breastplate to protect our vital organs? God's armor has to be used as a whole. 
So tonight, we're looking at just that one part of armor, the breastplate of righteousness. Um, Again, not to be used in isolation, but as part of that whole armor that God gives us. When I was thinking about the various characteristics of the armor of God, it came to me that the belt of truth that we heard about last week um, is the part of the armor that kind of holds everything up, that underpins everything. And that's exactly what the truth, and with a capital T, does in our lives. Then the shoes of the gospel of peace make sure we can move forward, not getting stuck in one place, but getting out in the middle of the fray. The shield of faith is a movable object adapting to meet each new situation, each new attack. The helmet protects our most valuable asset, our heads, like the salvation it symbolizes. But the breastplate is about protecting our very core. It's the last line of defense against arrows and swords that have evaded the shield. The final barrier in close bodily combat. It's the piece of armor that protects the vital organs that keep everything else in the body going. This is the breastplate of righteousness. So let's talk about righteousness. Now, righteousness, I think, is one of those very Christian words that can get a bit lost in translation. To those not steeped in churchy culture, the word righteousness is is rarely um, heard except in the context of self-righteousness, which implies a really unwarranted attitude of smug, judgmental bigotry. Self-righteousness, though, is exactly the opposite of what Paul is talking about here. Remember that we said the armor of God is God's own armor? So rather than self-righteousness, the breastplate is about God-righteousness. But there is another confusion with righteousness, and that's because there are two ways in which the Bible talks about it. The first is its very specific theological meaning, which which theologians call imputed righteousness. Little theology lesson for you tonight. Um, To impute means to attribute to someone or something. And so this kind of righteousness is the kind that comes when we become followers of Jesus. Um, The righteousness that belongs to Jesus, but which he attributes to us, uh, which he gives to us. In other words, this way of thinking about righteousness, um, it, uh, oh, I've lost my place. Right. Um, yeah, it, is, it means that we are made right. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Like, do you remember in the parable of the wedding guests, in which all the guests are given the host's own garments to attend the party? In that same way, we are given God's robes of righteousness to wear as our own to get into the party. When we put our faith in God, confess our sins, and invite him to rule our lives, then he gives us a righteousness that means that we are no longer subject to the consequences, um, to the eternal consequences of our sin. In other words, when God looks at us, he doesn't see our grubby, dirty, old, sin-stained garments, but rather he sees Christ's pure, spotless, brand new garments. When God looks at us, he no longer sees us. He sees Jesus. 
Galatians 2.20 sums this up perfectly. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So this, obviously, is a, a very important kind of righteousness. And I think probably Paul uses the word intending his readers to have that kind of made right understanding in the back of their minds. But there is another kind of righteousness that is equally attested to uh, in Scripture. And I think this other meaning is probably the main thrust of Paul's use here. And that is the righteousness that means acting in a right way, of living in the right way. You know, in the NIV version of the Bible, the words righteous or righteousness um, are used 493 times. That's a lot of times. From the first mention of Noah as a righteous man to the uh, vision in, of heaven in Revelation where the saints' righteous acts clothe the bride of, um, of the Lamb, righteousness is a very, very important theme throughout the Bible. This can be a bit tricky for evangelicals. We are very comfortable with the made right kind of righteousness. The idea that we invite Jesus into our hearts. He wipes the cleats and he wipes the slate clean for us. Like Ephesians 2, 8 to 9 says, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. And yet there is still this theme running through the whole Bible of righteousness as right living, right doing. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream, Amos 5.24 says, after indicting the Israelites with a whole list of wrongdoings, including oppressing the poor through taxation, corruption in the legal system, taking bribes, enslaving the vulnerable, sexual immorality, and brutal war crimes. We're told in Deuteronomy that acting in a right way towards the vulnerable is regarded as an act of righteousness in the sight of the, of the Lord. David's hymn of praise to God after escaping Saul thanks God for re- rewarding his righteousness. Paul tells Timothy, Timothy to pursue righteousness, and First John tells us that the righteous do what is right. But this kind of righteousness just makes us a bit uncomfortable because we're wondering if we start to creep into salvation by works, reverting to that age-old celestial spreadsheet in the sky in which we're aiming to keep the checks in the good column outnumbering the checks in the bad column. But if we can just set aside that existential evangelical dread for just a moment, we all actually know intuitively that doing the right thing matters. Or in other words, righteousness matters. Before I had children, I used to resent parent and child parking spaces because I thought children can walk, most of them. Why do they need their own parking spaces? And then I had children, and I found the near impossibility within a standard-sized car parking space of loading and unloading bags, extracting and inserting seats and carriers, wrangling recalcitrant trolleys, and employing all of one's most adept cat-herding skills, all while keeping one's progeny alive and the neighboring cars free from criminal damage. And now I get really annoyed when people who very apparently do not have children with them park in those, uh, in those, in those, in those places. 
So the other day, I went shopping with Silas, our two-year-old, and the ne- very next person who came into the car park also parked in the, um, in the parent and child spaces. It has a self-appointed um, monitor of these uh, of the parent and child uh, spaces, which is, is an important job. Um, I happened to glance at this person's back seat and noticed not only no children, but not even any car seats. Black mark number one. Then this person stepped out of the car, and not only was she still child-free and, and able-bodied, but she had a clergy dog collar on. <laughs> Black mark number 3,586. It matters when people do the right thing. It matters more that people who should be doing the right things do the right things. Now, obviously, I'm being a bit flippant about the parent and child parking spaces, but seriously, don't park there. Um, But it matters in big and small ways that people do the right thing. It matters that those in law enforcement act impartially. It matters that those in government make provision for the homeless, for the mentally ill, for the disabled. It matters how we treat and view and talk and vote about the stranger and foreigner. Justice and righteousness are sometimes these scary words, but really they are about God's heart for the poor, the needy, the vulnerable, the wronged, the voiceless, the oppressed, the disadvantaged, and the desperate. I think this is why the breastplate, the piece of armor that protects our very core, our vital organs, why this piece of armor is righteousness. Because how we live, what we do, what we say, how we act, it matters. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but no deeds? Can such faith save them? James 2.14 says, If we begin to let the breastplate of righteousness slip, if we let sin get its foot in the door, then we open ourselves up to the consequences of fighting in, in a battle without protection for our vital organs. Because the thing about sin is that sin begets more sin. A white lie here leads to a, to a leads to a bigger lie later. A small fiddle on our taxes now paves the way for co- covering up more far-reaching misconduct tomorrow. A quick look at something we shouldn't be looking at today paves the way for our prepares our heart to do something we shouldn't be doing tomorrow. And the thing about having a truly robust breastplate is that it's not just about us. Or what I mean by that is it's not just about us as individuals doing the right things and acting in the right ways. It's about all of us doing the right things and acting in the right way. You see, Paul isn't just writing to the Ephesians as individuals, telling them they each need their own personally fitted bit of armor. He's writing to the church as a whole, the church as a body. We, as a body, need to wear the whole armor of God, including a strong breastplate of righteousness. And at its best, the church can take courageous and sometimes risky stances on behalf of the vulnerable. 
Hospitals, schools, and orphanages, orphanages have been founded by Christians working their faith out in the world. Abolition and women's suffrage movements were deeply embedded in Christian values and beliefs. Food banks, debt counseling, groups like Springs and Genesis are all timely examples of how the church is acting righteously on behalf of the vulnerable. But it isn't always that way, is it? One of the things that has most broken my heart recently uh, is the recent American Senate hearings to appoint a man called Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court. You may or may not have heard about it, and there's a lot of backstory. But during those hearings, a woman Kavanaugh knew during his university years um, claimed that he'd assaulted her, and she testified during the hearings. What I found so devastating about the whole thing was the reaction of so many Americans, so, and particularly so many Americans who call, who identified themselves as Christians. The woman whose testimony can only be described as heart-wrenching was mocked, threatened, intimidated, and called a liar, among many other horrible things. Now, I'm not saying what is or isn't true, or what should or shouldn't have happened as a result of those hearings. But I am saying that for Christians, This reaction could not be farther from the attitude of Christ. This behavior could not be further from righteousness. If I had to sum up the Bible in one theme, I would say it's this. God's relentless love for his people and the lengths he's willing to go to save us. But if I was allowed one more theme, and one that is so intricately tied up with that first one... It would be God's consistent championing, protection, elevation, and particular care for the vulnerable and the voiceless. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow, says Isaiah. Proverbs 31 31 says, Speak out on behalf of the voiceless and for the rights of all who are vulnerable. Speak out in order to judge with righteousness and to defend the needy and the poor. And it may be easy to sit on judgment on the crazy political situation in the States at the moment, and it is crazy. But as we know from the Me Too movement, the church in our own part of the world must stop and take stock too. We have to face that in the past and even now, the church has sometimes perpetuated a culture in which it has been hard to hear the voices of the vulnerable. We have to face that in the past and even now, it is hard to hear the voices of the weak when we occupy and carry positions, uh, carry statuses of power. We have to face that in the past and even now, It is hard to hear voices that tell us something about ourselves that we don't want to be true. If we are really, truly, honestly going to wear a robust breastplate of righteousness, we have to face that in the past and even now, there are those within our church who have suffered and who have been abused and, that, and there are those who have inflicted suffering and who have abused. But praise the Lord, that is not the end of the story. 
Righteousness isn't just about what we've done or what's been done to us. Remember what we said at the beginning, the breastplate of righteousness is about wearing God's own armor. It's not self-righteousness, it's God-righteousness. We can't change what has happened in the past. We can't erase the scars we've inflicted or those that have been inflicted on us. But the amazing thing about this God-righteousness is that it isn't a tally sheet. God calls us and equips us to move forward, to become more fully human and more fully Christ-like, to be righteous. And he does it through the gift of repentance. Hear all that much about repentance these days, I don't think, probably for a whole variety of reasons. But repentance and its uh, corollary, forgiveness, is a gift. Repentance and forgiveness is how, uh, they're how we put down our striving, put down our guilt, put down our sin, and pick up the gift of righteousness. It is hard, so hard, to see ourselves as others may have seen us, to take responsibility for our intended and unintended actions, to hear hard truths and listen without self-justification. It is painful and it is difficult. But it is freedom. David's own prayer of repentance after his horrific sins says, Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Through repentance, David found again God's gift of righteousness. Hundreds of years before Paul wrote Ephesians, David was buckling on the breastplate and preparing to go back into the spiritual fight. And we can too. Taking up that armor of God, buckling on that breastplate, is not a one-time thing. It's a daily thing for a daily battle. No matter what's been done, through Christ's work on the cross, God holds out the breastplate of righteousness for us to put on. And through repentance, we can take it up. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, I am just so very aware of how uh, I uh, have let the breastplate slip so many times. And Lord, I am so thankful for your gift, your daily gift, your hourly gift, your minutely gift. And Lord, I pray tonight you would do such a work in us, Lord, that we would take up that gift anew tonight. We pray this in your name. Amen.